Uh, you can hold that up in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I don't think we'll get through the whole chapter because this is just a chock full, very important chapter. Uh, and I think there's lots for us in here. I um, am just feeling very challenged as I've been studying this. Um, significantly challenged. So um, I'll just read it because uh, we're all going to be in different translations here. And um, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather, by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It's not that there should be relief of others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much. The person who had little did not have too little. But thanks be to God who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus, for he welcomed our appeal, and being very diligent went out to you by his own choice. We've sent with him the brother who's praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we're administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we're administering. Indeed, we are giving careful thought to do what is right not only before the Lord, but also before people. We've also sent with them our brother. We have often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent, and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show them proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you. Amen. This is God's word. Um, can someone volunteer to open in prayer? Okay, thanks, Bert. You are Heavenly Father, we come to you at the morning hour of this beautiful day that you've given us. Not just an ordinary day, but the Sabbath, the time that we can come and 
Amen. Amen. So this is um, uh, kind of these next two chapters, 8 and 9, are really the premier text in the Bible about generosity and giving and charity. So uh, there's lots for us to learn here on these topics. The context here is that uh, this is obviously the church in Corinth. And the Christians in Jerusalem have come under pretty severe straits, most likely a famine. And so they were um, in a really bad way, um, starving, um, very poor, needing great help. So Paul, as he's been going to the different churches on his missionary journeys, is asking them all to contribute something to give a gift to the churches in Jerusalem, you know, in the family of God to help out these brothers and sisters. Um, And interestingly, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, these are Christians that the others Paul sees have never met. Paul can't take a, like a video of their church, show the poor, starving people in Jerusalem, and use that to encourage people to give. These are Christians they've never met, but the unity they feel with one another in the gospel is so strong that uh, these churches are willing to give uh, to the saints Paul talks to them about in Jerusalem. And so, as part of this, Paul wants to induce the Corinthian church to also give to this work. And this isn't a new thing that he's writing. This is something that they were previously aware of. He talks about last year you started wanting to do this. So the idea had come to the Corinthian church to give in this way. But for some reason, we're not told why, um, they, they didn't end up actually having the collection that anyone took to Jerusalem. So they've known this was there. And so Paul's now kind of writing to say, hey, pick up where you left off, finish this collection, And then we're going to see at the end how uh, Titus is going to be sent by Paul to um, grab the funds with two other guys, and they're going to take it back to Jerusalem. So he's maybe worried they've lost a bit of heart in this. And so to induce them to the giving here, the kind of big themes are he's going to first try to compel them by the example of the churches in Macedonia. Then he compels them by the example of Christ. And then lastly, he compels them through uh, various other ideas of their own hearts and their own giving. So we'll look at this, and if he's inducing this Corinthian church to give, we can receive a lot of his instructions here as things that would be inducements for us to give charitably. And we're not talking here primarily about the sort of giving to maintain the regular work of the church, the ministry of word and worship, but this is particularly uh, extra charitable giving, what might have been called uh, giving alms, uh, throughout most of church history. So we're thinking of this as uh, charitable giving to, uh, to the poor, to the oppressed, people that are in specific needs. So that's kind of the context here. Okay, look at verse 1. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia are churches like the one at Philippi, the one in Thessalonica, and the one in Berea. Those are the different ones in Macedonia that we hear about in Acts, I believe, 16, 17, around there. And so this isn't just even one church. This is a number of churches in Macedonia. And he says, God's really been gracious to these churches. And the evidence of God's grace being really poured out in these churches is how much they gave. Um, it's, a, it's a giving grace. And here's how clearly you see that in verse 2. In, for these churches, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And this is just crazy to think that what would we think would be the formula for extreme generosity? Like we would think it would be something like 
Great wealth plus great compassion equals great generosity. But here the formula is extreme poverty and abundant joy equals um, a wealth of generosity. And I think right off the bat, this is super challenging, I think for us, for me, thinking of this, because I think um, in our culture here, I think even particular in this area, we so value um, sort of the safety and comfort that wealth brings, not extreme wealth, but you know, having a savings account, being very responsible, having enough for a rainy day, enough for retirement, all these different things. And I think our natural tendency would be that if someone was extremely poor, this says extreme poverty, they were giving generously. I, my first reaction would probably be like, you know, you should probably get back on your feet appropriately, probably get like your house in order, and then maybe start giving generously. But Paul actually commends them giving generously out of extreme poverty, which I just think is just, that is just not, uh, not a way we are able to think very easily. But the cause of them, that even in the situation, they wanted to give generously out of abundant joy. And so this is the type of joy that would cause us to do such radical giving. Um, it's not detailed, but what else could it be but the joy we have to be in Christ, to be delivered from sin, to have the riches of the world to come, to have the riches of Jesus and knowing him in our lives. And out of that, then the attachment to worldly goods just lessens so significantly. It's what is this funds, what is this money I have but an opportunity to bless and serve others that need help? Uh, this is just a radical heart of generosity coming from joy. And he says in verse 3, he, he shows what this meant for them. That according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Uh, this joy to them is a privilege. They rejoice for the privilege of getting to share and help God's people. And that's part of what the joy is attached to. The joy of a privilege to be able to do something. And he said they gave according to their ability, which makes sense, but even beyond their ability. They, they push themselves to give to an extent that might not make uh, logical financial sense to us. Um, we're comfortable with this idea of according to their ability, right? That's why we generally support, um, in a sense, like a graduated giving. You know, if we say, hey, it's a good idea as a rule of thumb to give 10%, say, to the church, that's kind of an according to your ability sort of giving. Those who make more will be giving more. Those who make less will be giving less. But it's kind of the same proportion for each person. But he says that they even gave beyond their ability, and right there, I think we're confronted with that idea of sacrificial giving. Because if I think, well, what am I able to give? Like, what could I reasonably, while maintaining my savings account, maintaining my securities, of what's the little bit left over after I plan out for the vacation this year and the funds, you know, for whatever have you, that's the amount that's able to give. But just the challenge of even thinking about what would even, it even look like to give beyond my ability in something. And um, one of the commentators I was reading for this, he just asked a question. He was like, when was the last time that you can actually point to a specific thing you had to sacrifice or give up because you were wanting to practice generosity? 
Um, when was the last time that you're actually like, oh yeah, right, I didn't go on that trip because I was giving to this and I used up all those funds. Um, I think that's just like a very significant challenge, definitely for me, to think about um, what sort of generosity is this? This is a Holy Spirit radical generosity that does not make sense in the eyes of the world. And I fear often doesn't even make sense to us as Christians. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. And I think here, this verse, verse 5, gives us that the big picture of, I think, what it would look like for us to be these sorts of radically generous people. He says, this happened because they first gave themselves to the Lord. And that's what it means to be a Christian, is to have given ourselves to the Lord. Wholly consecrated, body and soul, like Romans 12, 1 says, to give ourselves up as a living sacrifice. And if we're actually a living sacrifice to God, that means that I've kind of died to everything of myself. Everything that I've counted gain, I now count loss, and I am now the Lord's servant. Everything I am is for the Lord, but then that also implies everything I have is the Lord's, right? That idea of stewardship, that all our resources, all our money, all our um, wealth and assets, they don't belong to us, they belong to God. And if we recognize that we are given to God, all we have is given to God, then we just want to use everything we have as God would have us use it, not primarily for ourselves. And from this position of giving themselves to God, then they give themselves to Paul and to this idea of giving to the saints in Jerusalem. So he's saying, because you were so given to God, you are willing to come along with us and partner in this ministry of giving to the saints in Jerusalem. So generosity starts... It's out of joy, but out of total consecration of us and all we have to God. Um, any comments or questions on the first five verses here? Anyone feeling challenged? I know I am. I think um, the whole uh, out of abundance of joy thing is easy to forget, um, but also kind of hard of us. So then the question It's almost like the generosity was an overflow of joy. It's like how um, John Piper defines uh, love. Is for others, it would be like the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. Hmm. It's like the whole Christian hedonism thing. Um, anyways, I guess, yeah. Because otherwise I can just focus on the outward actions and then feel guilty that I'm not doing it. Yeah, and that's kind of the crazy thing here is that uh, this is not at all, the church wasn't guilted into giving. It doesn't seem like Paul was applying pressure and twisting their arms. These churches in Macedonia really wanted to. It was their joy to. And so I think that is a good question for us. It's like, okay, well, how does this not just become like I should feel guilted into giving more? The question is, how can I find it a delight to give? How could I make generosity such a value to me that I'm, I need to almost hold myself back from giving because I'd love to give it all away if I could. Um, and so I think there's a question. Where do we cultivate that joy? Um, 
I think we're going to see some tips for that as we get through this passage, but this needs to be our heart as Christians, that we just love to share what we have and to give to others. Uh, Take a look at verse 6. And so we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. So we started off saying, hey, God's given grace to the Macedonian churches to give, and now... If you're feeling compelled by their example, remember, Titus started to actually do this with you too. Titus had started to work on gathering a collection for you, and now he's going to come back and complete among you this act of grace, this gracious generosity. And now Paul does a little bit of a sneaky thing here. He kind of like, um, kind of not puffs up, but like winsomely encourages the church um, by saying in verse 7, now... As you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. Uh, Paul's a smart guy. He knows how to use words. But he's encouraging the church to say, you guys are awesome, right? This is not, again, a guilt trip. You guys are a terrible church. You're not giving generously enough. You need to do this. He's saying, you guys excel in faith. Trust in the Lord. You excel in speech. Uh, This church was able to have words of prophecy, uh, speak in other languages that were interpreted in their services, give words of revelation and exhortation. They were good at teaching and preaching. He says, you excelled in knowledge. That is, they they were on the way to having the correct understanding of doctrine and theology. And in all diligence, they were hard working and committed to the faith. And in your love for us. They were supportive of the right ministry. They were supportive of Paul. And he says, excel also in this act of grace. And I think there's a challenge for us here to say, how highly do we uphold generosity as a value in our hearts and in our church? Um, Here, Paul seems to be trying to bring it up to the level of faith, speaking ministry, love. You know, we, we might think like, yeah, no, generosity is important. We should do a, a collection once a year or something. Uh, but the important things are that we have people's faith, that we have the correct doctrine and theology, and that we have love. But he's saying, you, if we want to excel in our love, excel in our faith and knowledge here, we should also want to excel in generosity. And I think for most of us, that's just a challenge for us. I think we need to elevate the value we put on generosity as equal to the value we put on theology, the value we put on knowledge, as he said. This is such an important part of what it means to be a Christian, and it falls by the wayside in my life far too often. And as I was thinking about this, I really do think that this is probably one of the greatest sort of cultural blind spots we have as Western Christians. You know, people talk about, sometimes ask like, you know, in 200 years, What are we going to look back on this time and say, how did we not see that as a church? Just as we might look back 200 years ago on Christians holding slaves and be like, how did they not see that that was contrary to the heart of God? Part of me sometimes wonders if we'll look back and say, how are we so comfortable to live with such ease and wealth when so many uh, struggled for their daily sustenance? Um, And yeah, it's it's a challenging thing to think about, but I think worth feeling challenged about. And it's not that we have to, um, that all of a sudden we're going to get to this place where we're all radically generous. I think if we think of this as a grace gift, which Paul does, 
this gift of generosity is a gift God gives to his people. Why not just have the goal of growing in it, right? Like, like we want to grow in our doctrine or want to grow in love. We just want to be on the right track. Be like, I want to be more generous by the end of this year than I was at the beginning of this year. Just as we want to be more loving by the end of the year than we were at the beginning. Let's just make it a goal to grow in this area and to actually um, keep it frequently on our minds as something to examine ourselves by. Am I focused on being generous? Am I wanting to excel in being generous? And let's just start there. Let's be more mindful that this is important, that we need to excel in it, and that we ought to desire it. Is that fair enough? Any, any other comments or questions? So isn't this, this is primarily giving within the church, though, correct? To other churches for ministering versus just a general charitable. I think you've got to be careful what charity you give to. As a general, oh, just, I give to charities. I don't, don't see what those charities stand for. Right. Yeah, yeah. The specific context here is Christians in need. And um, I think a good principle is what is in Galatians 6. I think it's verse 14. Um, Paul says to do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. So that's saying um, we're free to give to all sorts of ministries that are doing good, even um, a non-Christian ministry. If it's doing good for people, that's a worthy cause. But the fact is that we have an a special obligation to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way that we have a special obligation to our immediate families, right? You, you have more of a duty to care for your children than another person's children. And so in the same way, there's, we can sort of think of circles of obligation. And so I think of, you know, if your family is provided for, then next look out and say, hey, my church family, are there needs there I can give to? If your church family seems well provided for, the deacons are doing their job, well, what's the level beyond that? Maybe the church in this region or the church in this country. And if there's no present needs there, give broader. So I think we can think of circles of obligation. But yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up. Um, Particularly giving in the household of faith. And part of the importance there, even though we might think it's a great witness to give to non-Christians, and it is, part of the witness is actually to show the world that as Christians, we care for one another because we're a family. And the witness of a family caring for itself like the church, that's a great witness in the world. And that's why Christianity can thrive even in oppressive uh, political structures. Ones that, um, political structures that maybe don't care at all for poor, marginalized people. So you can imagine Christianity from a Roman Empire to a communist Russia, wherever it is. It, in a sense, doesn't matter if the government's not helping people. Uh, whether you think they should or shouldn't, because in the church, God provides um, those sort of institutional structures where we ought to be caring for one another. Uh, There ought to be no poor among you, God told Israel, because they cared for each other. And so the church is, as it were, um, almost like an alternate society or a counterculture where regardless of what the government's doing, good or bad, we're going to care for one another. We're going to provide for those who are poor among us. We are going to care for the widows and orphans in our midst, right? In 1 Timothy, there's that list of widows that were actually provided for by the church. And in this, I think we witness to the world significantly. Uh, Verse 8. Paul says, I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. So again, here we learn that Christian generosity is not um, coerced. 
There's no number, there's no percentage that the New Testament gives as a rule that says you must give this amount or you must sacrifice this amount. Paul's saying, I'm encouraging you by the diligence of others and I am testing the genuineness of your love and our desire to show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ by caring for their physical needs is an evidence of genuine love. And we know that genuine love is an evidence of genuine faith. And uh, it makes me think of a really good verse is uh, 1 John 3, 16 to 18. And in there he says uh, that if you see your brother or sister in need and close your heart against them, how does the love of God abide in you? And I find that's in a sense a helpful idea because especially in our information age, we could be made aware of basically an infinite number of good causes to give to. Um, we, in a sense, have access to give to every poor person in the world through different organizations. And so, in a sense, we're in a different place than the world's ever been in that the obligations that might come our way are endless. But I think there is, from that text in First John, there is an idea of um, what comes into your path. What opportunities have presented themselves for you? Not that we have to look for every Christian who's in poverty, but it says if you see your brother or sister in need, you notice that someone in our midst has um, lack, or you hear and come into contact with those who have lack, that in a sense, that contact creates an obligation that wasn't there previously. Because all of a sudden you're, you're confronted with a choice. Will I open my heart to this or will I close my heart to this? And John says that if you see your brother in need and close your heart, that's a sign that God's love doesn't abide in you, which is really scary uh, that uh, the genuineness of our faith can actually be tested by the generosity of our hearts. Um, scary stuff. I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Um, Paul's looking at the example of the Macedonians, but now he wants to induce them in just one verse by the example of Jesus. And obviously the greatest example of generosity is the example of Christ himself, who verse 9 says, and this is a verse to memorize. If you're looking for verses to memorize, this is a great one. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Uh, Christ here provides the greatest example of sacrificial generosity. Christ, who is the high, exalted Son of God, made himself low, Philippians 2, he, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, made himself low, that we might be exalted to the highest place, to even be children of God. And so Christ himself, in the very nature of the work he did, it's a generously, sacrificially loving work. So at the very heart of our religion is sacrificial generosity, to lower ourselves to lift others up. That's, that's the very core of what Christ did, to be made low that we might be made high. And that is the heart of God and something he loves to do. Um, any, any other thoughts, comments, questions? Two situations going right now where I was extremely generous. 
Not to brag, but it's a true story. In one case, I am currently being sued. And in another case, it's not going to come down to that, but it's just, it's, it's going really sideways. Mm-hmm. And everybody's heard the expression, give a man a, a fish and a leaf per day, give him a pole, Here, or my experience at least, um, this world is full of people that don't want to fish a pole. And probably not so much in the church. And I think that's part of what makes the church different from the rest of the world. But uh, outside of flipping a guy a few dollars that's begging on the street or on the street corner or whatever, you're going to, at least I have found. When you get involved in some of these people's lives and you really, you know, campaign for change and difference and, and make yourself vulnerable, there's not going to be a whole lot of amazing success stories. There's just not. Mm-hmm. Attributed to mental illness or fallen world or upbringing or background or a whole host of other things, but genuine change. Whether it's whether it's from a Christian perspective or just from a uh, a perspective of of yeah lifestyle or wanting to improve your life um, is pretty rare mm-hmm. in my experience. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for pointing that out. And I think you know a couple things. One is like we do want to give wisely. Right? So there are ways to adjudicate um, options. And sometimes money isn't the best way to help people. Sometimes there's other things that are more needed. And so I do think we need to be praying for wisdom and generosity. But I think um, on the other side, part of me would say that if we never feel like we get hurt or taken advantage of, then we're probably not being generous enough. I think that um, the generous heart is probably the one that errs on the side of overly giving, and sometimes that will lead to be taken advantage of. So I don't think that's something uh, to, to, to beat oneself up over, um, but I think there is something that uh, the heart that God delights in is the heart that's generous, and sometimes it doesn't maybe turn out the way we hope, but God delights in a heart that wants to give. Um, one principle that might be helpful here, this is what... Um, Tim Keller outlines in his book, Ministries of Mercy, which is really excellent. If you want to read a book about mercy ministry in the church, it's just so good. But he, he talks about the difference of um, giving approaches on different sides of the sort of economic spectrum. How he, he'd say, conservatives want to give with lots of strings attached. You can access this money if you meet this qualification and this qualification and this qualification. It's, it's immediate, strong accountability. And then he says, liberals want to give without any strings attached and no accountability. So just give, 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 and then who knows? It's a bad situation. It's gone. It's wasted. Um, what, what he advocates for is he says initially give freely, and love believes all things in people. Give freely at first out of generosity, and then increase the accountability over time. So in a sense, almost like adding strings as it goes so that people that are maybe in a terrible place have never learned how to live well in this world. Um, they can be brought along and um, 
have increasing accountability. So he says, sometimes because you give freely at first, sometimes that'll bite you and it won't go well. But if you start off with so many conditions, people that have needs never actually get the resources. So I, I just like the idea. I don't know how easy it would be to implement in real life, but give freely, but then help people come along to greater accountability. And um, you know that's the ideal. Life is messy, but if you want an idea, I can help you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, yeah, we want to be uh, generous in deed, not just in word. Verse ten. In this matter, Paul says, I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you who began last year not only to do something but to want to do it. Verse 11, now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. So he says, don't be quitters. I know you wanted to give last year. Finish the work. Give generously. Support the poor saints. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So I think here is maybe a balancing principle against that earlier example of them giving beyond their ability. Paul's saying here that um, God looks at the gift according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So if you don't have a lot to give, God's not going to be upset that you didn't give more. He says... The point is, give according to what you have. And um, sometimes I think this can be a challenge when you think of giving, when, say, there's something where there's an opportunity to give, and you know people that will just, like, give $15,000 to something. You're like, well, if a few donors could basically make the whole amount, what will my 15 bucks do? What will my 150 bucks do? It'll be just a drop in the bucket, so it's kind of pointless. Let the rich people give, because they can just give 100 times more than I can with the same cost. But the point is, we're not looking at the results. God wants our hearts. And God wants us to be people with hearts that practice generosity, regardless of how much we can give or not. That's not how God judges us. He judges us by our faithfulness to steward what he has given us. And Paul says in 13, it's not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. So he's saying, You shouldn't give so much that now they're living in comfort and ease and you're on hard times. He says, no, we we, we want some sort of equality among the churches. And uh, this idea of equality with wealth is uh, obviously very politically controversial. And I think the idea here is different than most of the ideas in current uh, political climates. So some would say equality means equality of opportunity, that no matter where you are, you can climb out of it. Some advocate for equality of outcomes, that no matter where you start, we should all finish at the same spot. It seems the equality um, positioned in this passage is an equality of sufficiency, that no matter who or how, you should have enough, Um, which is a little bit different than both of those, maybe somewhere in the middle. It's saying that there shouldn't be any believer that you know of who's lacking his daily bread, as it were who's lacking the necessities of you know, food, clothing, shelter, in, in order to have a sufficient amount to not be in a dire straits, to, to not be suffering because of the lack. That seems to be the equality Paul has in mind. He says, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance in turn, which might be some time in the future, right, in an agrarian society, um, it's a lot more, in a sense, chance-based for um, 
your bread because you're dependent on rain, you're dependent on weather. So they have a famine in Jerusalem. There might be a famine in Macedonia or Corinth, and maybe things will be good in Jerusalem. So he's saying in a different situation, their surplus might be available to meet your needs in order that there may be a quality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much. The person who had little did not have too little. Now, again, I think uh, this idea of equality does challenge much of our economic sensibilities. It sounds uh, not quite right. But uh, the example he gives in verse 15, he's actually, this is a quote from Exodus 16, which is talking about the manna. And the context of what's happening there in Exodus 16 is that God is providing daily bread from heaven for Israel. And the command is for each person to go out and gather as much as they can. Or not as much as they can, to, to gather um, a certain amount for their families to be, to be provided for. However much you will need for that day. And so we're told that everyone goes out and they gather according to their ability. And some gathered more and some gathered less. Right? You can imagine just by um, age or bodily strength, if you're bending over and picking up little honey crisps off the ground... Some people will be able to gather a lot more than others. But everyone gathered according to what he could do, their own ability. But then the crazy thing is that at the end of the day, when they were measuring how much they gathered, somehow everyone gathered the same amount, which I believe was one ephah, if I remember. So someone who was really capable and got a lot, in a sense, God reduced it to just how much they needed. And those who still worked just as hard but didn't have the ability... God increased it to be enough for them. And you had no ability to hoard manna. If you tried to keep extra for the next day, it would rot. Except on Friday. So on Friday they would gather double, and then on the Sabbath they, it would last for them. But God, what Paul is doing here is he's saying this was like a supernatural equalizing. That even though you had the ability to get more for yourself... God reduced your amount to just what was necessary for the day. And those that worked hard but couldn't quite make it, God supernaturally brought them up to how much they needed. And Paul's using this to in induce what was a miraculous leveling to be a more voluntary one. And so if you recognize, um, people are working hard and we have different abilities. Some people are stronger and smarter than other people and have more ability to make wealth. Uh, just by virtue of us being born in America... And not in Cambodia, we have an ability to generate way more wealth than most people. Just by virtue of where we're born, the type of family we grow up in, the location we live, the resources we have access to. Some of us just have greater ability to amass wealth than others. Even though others might work just as hard and not get as much. And so Paul's saying that we should have it in our hearts that if there are Christians lacking and we have an ability to get more than we need... We should desire to supply that lack voluntarily, just like God did previously. Um, so, and, and the way we know if we have too much is that someone else has too little. Um, so it's not, that, it's not that we can't have wealth. God's not against having wealth and resources. Abraham was very wealthy. There's a number of people in Scripture, Job, extremely wealthy. But if your wealth is at the expense of someone else not having enough for their sustenance and their suffering, then that's a too much that we would see here. 
And there is, in a sense, a Christian obligation to help supply lack. Um, not to promote or encourage laziness. Second Thessalonians says that if someone isn't willing to work, they probably shouldn't eat. And if you look at the Old Testament laws, the gleaning laws are really interesting that um, in the fields, when they were reaping the harvest, they were not allowed to go and pick up all the fragments that got missed in the first pass-through. Those were the gleanings, kind of the extra bits of food. And the law, she says, those are for the poor, the widow, the immigrant. Those actually belong to them. He actually told those with wealth, part of your wealth actually belongs to other people. You're not allowed to do with it whatever you want. You owe it to the poor and the immigrant and the widow and the fatherless to allow them to come and work in your field to, to get those extras. So it wasn't just a handout. Uh, there involved labor that people would have to go into the field, pick it themselves, but those gleanings did, it says, belonged to them. Uh, just an interesting principle from Old Testament law that might be interesting to try and implement in some sense. So anyways, there, and I guess I would caveat this whole thing with saying, again, we don't have any clear rules here about you need to give this much, you need to sacrifice this much. This is a challenge for us in our hearts of what is our heart to give? What is our heart for generosity? And what would it look like to try and live more generously? And um, it's, it can be confusing. I know, like, Julie and I have talked lots of times about, like, what, what is the right amount? Like, how much should we be saving versus giving? Um, how much is too much? Um, are we being too conservative or whatever? There's a lot of complications in generosity and trying to find what's the line, what's the amount. But we just need to be working on our hearts and try in a good conscience before God grow in this grace. Uh, Julie, you had something. Right, actually knowing one another to know what each other's needs might even be. Yeah, yeah, I know there are a lot. Um, any, any, any other comments or questions for the last couple minutes? We're going to stop here. I hope we're feeling appropriately challenged. I was telling you this morning, I'm like, ah, I feel so uh, just challenged and convicted studying this and uh, seeing my own lack in it. And um, something I think just to be praying about this, that the Spirit would really open our hearts to have really wide open, generous hearts, and um, to think, what, what could we be known for as Grace Fellowship OPC? You know, we want to be known as a church that, as we read earlier, excels in doctrine and excels in Christian uh, love and care for each other, but also think, 
what, how, what would it look like if we were known as a church that excelled in generosity? That would be a really neat thing. And um, a, a witness before a watching world. So, any final, uh, final comments? Yeah, Luke. Um, <clears throat> I think it is a, um, like God's providence that it isn't spelled out um, like a tax bracket. This is your income and your net worth and mm-hmm. how many exemptions you have or whatever. Okay, add it all up. This is how much you have to give. Because I think that's kind of where um, the joy comes from is not overthinking it, uh, seeing a need, feeling the need, mm-hmm. and then um, it's not a math equation that's going to come into your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, I think, the freedom we have as Christians. Sure. Um, our conscience aren't bound. And so we, we ought not be quick to judge each other, to be like, hmm, I feel like you're taking too many vacations, or you have two dice of a car, whatever the case may be. We're allowed to enjoy God's good gifts, but I think just, yeah, I think my, my main point I want to take away is that this should be a grace we want to grow in and develop our generosity mus- muscles. And just when opportunities come to give, I'd recommend just make it a practice of whenever you have an opportunity to give, just give something, even if it's five bucks, because I think just um, becoming people that naturally respond positively to opportunities to give, I think that just helps strengthen our giving muscles and our ability to let go, to, to loosen our hands of the grip we keep on our hard-earned resources. Because we're so tempted to just hold tight to what we have and save it and uh, be responsible that we, just, we don't just have enough opportunities to be generous. So I think let's, let's uh, maybe focus there and try to grow here. Um, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the amazing, generous love Jesus Christ showed in humbling himself to forever, though he is God, to forever take himself a human nature, to forever be made like us, that we might be made like him, and for all eternity delight in your glory. God, you've been so generous to us. We don't even know the half of how much you have forgiven us. But Lord, would you show us how gracious you've been that we might be people who love much, who love you much and offer you our whole selves in radical consecration, in obedience as living sacrifices, but also people who reflect that love of Christ in generosity towards others. Give us such a love for our brothers and sisters, such a love for the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden, that it is our joy to exercise the gracious, generous love we've received towards them in sharing from what you've given us, Lord. Increase our our, our wealth and resources in order that we might have more to share with those in need and be good stewards of all that you've given to us. Lord, help us delight and seek to grow in this grace, and that your spirit would open our hearts more and more to be generous believers who reflect the generous love of our Savior. Be with us in our worship now. Bless Pastor Mike as he shares your word, and give us hearts that just respond to your love with love and praise in return. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.